0: I'm always thankful to be able to preach what the Lord has given me, thankful to be in front of the Lord's people, be in his house, be able to minister to such a fantastic group of people. I'm always thankful for the opportunity. And today I'm wanting to preach on the subject of preaching itself. And so if you guys will first turn to me, turn turn with me to Romans chapter ten, the book of Romans. And we're going to look at a few uh, verses in Romans chapter 10, although most of our time will be spent in verse 14. So in Romans chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 14 here. How then shall they call on him who they have not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? how shall they hear without a preacher? So we're going we're gonna to go verse by verse here. We're going to look at 14, 16, and 17. But we'll stop here at 14. So think about those questions that they asked. So first off, he asked, how shall they call on him whom they have not believed? So when you're in a tough moment, when you're going through something in your life, how can you call, how can you ask someone to deliver you if you don't believe in that person? So that's the first question is asked there. So just things through your mind when you were going through something and you knew somebody who could help you. How many, Or you went to somebody who could help you. How many times did you go to somebody that you thought may or may not have been able to help or you barely knew them. You knew them just a little bit. How many times when you really went through something did you go to that type of person? Or did you go to somebody who you knew could deliver you? Right. so that's that first question asked. How so should they call on him whom they have not believed? You, it, you can't. That's You can't call on somebody, really genuinely ask them to help you if you don't believe in them. So then there's the next question. How shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? So, can you believe in someone? Can you believe in an idea? Can you believe in a concept? In something you've never heard of before? That's once again kind of a rhetorical question. That's impossible. How can you believe in something you've never even heard of? I'm trying to give you an example, but it's literally impossible to give you an example because if I've heard of it, then I've heard of it. I can't tell you something I haven't heard of before. That's why I can't believe in it either. So then the last step. Then how shall they hear without a preacher? And there's another, there's another in how shall they preach except they be sinned. But well, I'm not going to touch on that one today. But there's the last question there. Then how shall they hear without a preacher? So then it goes step by step down the line. So then, you have to hear something to believe in it. So then, once you hear it, how do you hear it? Someone's got to tell you, right? That's how hearing works. You got to be able to. Someone's got to tell you for you to be able to hear it. So we're going to go here quickly to John chapter nine, and I'm just going to show you an example of this set of events laying out perfectly. And I'll try not to turn like a crazy man today, but I got a few different sets of scriptures I want to turn to. And the first one today is John chapter nine. And we'll go back to Romans in just a second. But John chapter 9, and we're going to go to verse 35 first. So there was, and I'll give you a quick summary. There was a blind man. Or sorry, there was a man that was, yes, sorry, there was a blind man. The Jesus had healed them, they had cast him out, right? So we'll start in verse 35. And Jesus had heard that they cast him out. And when he had found him, he said unto them, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? So he was cast out. And for those of you who don't know what a cast out is, it's kind of what it sounds like. He was put away. He was put out by the people. No one wanted anything to do with him. Well, to me, that sounds like a moment that you need to call on somebody, right? You need some help. You need some assistance. So what did Jesus ask him? Dost thou believe on the Son of God? Because how can you call on someone who you do not believe? There you go, right there. It's a perfect example. Then in the next verse he answered, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? So, now he wants to hear who it is. Right? He wants to call on him, but he can't because he doesn't believe. But he can't believe on him because he doesn't know who he is. He asked right there. He he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus answered unto him, Thou hast whole seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. So Jesus answered him right there. And then in verse 38, and he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Right there. It's the inverse of what that previous one was talking about. How can they call on him who they do not believe? How can they believe on him who they do not hear? How can they hear without a preacher? So if you reverse that, they got to have a preacher first, right? Jesus was that preacher, preaching of himself. The only difference in Jesus' ministry and a preacher's ministry is Jesus said, look here. Yeah. I say, look there. Yeah. Right? I cannot point you to me. I have no power. Yeah. I point you to the one who had power. And Jesus did the same thing. He pointed you to the one that had power. Yeah. It was really easy for him. He just had to point at himself. Right. right? So there, and you read the inverse right there. So I wanted to give you an example of what I was talking about. And we're going to look again at another example in a little bit. In the book of Acts, if anyone can think of what that might be, but we'll go there in a little bit. So we can go back now to Romans chapter ten. I want to just give a little—I was just a little detour for quick. We go back to Romans chapter ten now. We'll look at the next side there. So that we got that down, right? So we got the process of that. But then here's here's the next part. This is kind of what the importance of the sermon is today. Right here in 16 and 17, or 16 through 18, sorry. But they have not all heard, they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth, and their words unto the end of the world. So the question here then is he's asking, is who hath believed our report? So those who know about Isaiah, he was not a very timid man. He preached to everyone who listened to him, and he would preach to the ones that wouldn't listen to him either. If you think of Jeremiah, he was the Lord told him to go into the land. He said, For how long? Well, how long do you want to preach? What do you what do you look for? till the buildings fall down. Till the city collapses from the inside out. Preach at them. So, so, Jeremiah was continuously preaching. Why was the land not converted? Why was all the people that Jeremiah preached to, which was a lot, an entire city full, and he preached so much, <laughs> and he, was, uh, he was delegated to preach until the city fell down. So all that preaching, you'd feel like there'd be some conversion out of that. Well, he did not get a lot of fruit, did he? So why? Because we know in verse 14, it, you know, you, they have to be preached to to believe. But we know for sure that Isaiah and Jeremiah preached to them. Right. So why did they not believe? Because the Bible talks about everyone's heard, right? It says right there, Their sounds went into all the earth, and their words unto the end of the world. Right? There is some form or another, the gospel out there all over the world in some form or another, right? So why is not everybody in the world saved? What's the difference? They all hear it. And think about, you know, today there's people in the church right now who aren't saved yet. But I promise you they've heard preaching because they just heard classes morning. They just heard it right now. If they were here last week, they heard preaching. The week before that, they heard preaching. So why aren't they saved yet? What's the difference? Right there in verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Yeah. Now, people tend to take that out of context. The Word of God, they're wanting to say is the Bible, right? Right there. But that's redundant. You can't... it said by preaching, but what is a preacher preaching? He's preaching the Bible. So why would he repeat the same thing twice? That Word of God is something slightly different there. That's the actual Word of God. God Himself speaking, yeah. making the difference Amen. in you. Amen. The Holy Spirit moving first and the preaching making that come alive. That's the difference there. So everybody here, everybody out there, right here, is hearing me speaking right now. How come everyone out there is not saved right now? Because God hasn't spoken first. (coughs) He has to speak first. So faith cometh by hearing, but that hearing, it's a separate hearing that's talking about in verse 14. That's a spiritual hearing in verse 17. That's a literal hearing in verse 14. And so the spiritual hearing can't come by physical words. It's got to come by spiritual words. God has to make the move first. Amen. Because I can preach to the entire city of Tulsa 24-7. And unless God moves in those people first, I'm not going to get anything besides a turn face. That's all I'm going to get out of it. Nothing, my words have no power. So I'm going to turn to John chapter 11. Now go back to John chapter 11. You don't have to turn with me if you don't want to. I'm turning to to John chapter 11 here because we're going to look at an example of God speaking, making a difference. So, everyone knows Lazarus, the story of Lazarus, and how he died. He was a friend of Jesus, and Jesus wept. And, you know, uh, the last time I spoke, it was on a Wednesday night, and I spoke about how, sorry, that he is the resurrection. And that's the story of Lazarus. I'm going to look a little further today in verse 40. Through 43, and right here, so we look. And Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God? And then he took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. But I know that thou hearest me always. Side note here, real quick. How many Christians here today can say confidently that they feel like God always hears them? We don't act like that, do we? We know that it's true, but we don't always act like it. We act like if our prayers aren't being answered, then God must have not heard us that day. He must have had his cell phone turned off. That's how we think as Christians. God never doesn't hear your prayers. He just doesn't answer them when you would like them answered. That's a side note there. But he said, I know that thou hearest me always. But, because of the people which stand by... I say it. So he was wanting to specify thanking the Lord for hearing him because the people around him, because he knows that God always hears him. He wanted everybody else to realize that God hears him. And then in the next part, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. So once again, he's proving to the people around him that he's the son of God with this next part right here. And that's the difference between me and God right here. How many doctors you think came to Lazarus before he died? Probably had some doctors come to him before he died. Maybe he had a couple people after he died. Okay? Trying to bring him back. You know, doctors when you when someone passes, they try to shock you back into place. I'm sure, they had something along the lines back then, didn't work as well, but they had something along the lines, right? But they didn't because he died. We know that he passed away. So their words did nothing. What they did did nothing to him. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. <clears throat> right there. Look at the difference. In his words, and in the supposed doctors that I spoke about, they were hoping what they were doing was going to work. Jesus was very confident. You look in verse 42 at the end of it. He says, I say it, that they might believe that thou hast sent me. He's doing these things to prove that he's the son of God. In the same way I preach to you, I can't save you. But Jesus can to prove that he's the Son of God. Yeah. Amen. That's the point. That's why he's special. Only he can do these things. Only he can raise the literal dead to life. In the same way he's the only one who can raise the spiritually dead to life. Amen. And in verse forty four it says, And then that he was and he that was dead came forth. Right there. It worked.
1: Amen.
0: Not what the doctors did work. It wasn't that the pill that they gave him just was a couple of weeks late. That's not how that worked. It was Jesus' words Himself when He said Lazarus comes forth. Because only His words can save me. In the same way only His words can save you. I can preach to you all I want. But until Jesus speaks, there's not a single soul that's going to get saved that's just the fact of the matter he calls him up out from his dead state you know there's only a few the only few things that a dead person can do is smell and rot okay. yeah. a couple of things that they can do that's the same thing when you're spiritually dead the same thing you can do then stink and rot spiritually nothing you can do until the words damn come forth yeah. Yeah. then it's all changed you're alive now and you had no clue what did it. I promise you, Lazarus had no clue what was going on for about 30 seconds. He was very dead and then he was very alive. And I promise you, he was very confused. Right there. Same thing, when we're first awakened, when we're first brought to life spiritually, we're very dead and very alive. I promise you that if you've experienced salvation for for a few for a while there, even escaping years, months, everyone's different. You are very alive. You are very like, what is going on? I see everything differently now. You know, same experience, side note, same experience that Adam and Eve experienced in the garden. They had no clue what sin was. They ate the fruit and they were very alive for a while. They saw everything. Satan wasn't fully lying when he said you'd be like God when he told them to eat the fruit because only God at the time could see sin. So when Satan said you'd eat the fruit you'd be like God. That was Part of the truth. That's how Satan works. He twists the truth a little bit. Right? The truth is, yeah, they'd be like God, but not in the way he was not Right. They could now see the difference between sin and righteousness. But that's not... I promise you, that's not what they had in mind when he said you would be like God. So my point there is... Now, I know this is just a little rabbit. Oh, we'll go... A rabbit trail. We'll go back and focus here now. But the point is that Jesus... Speaks, God speaks, that's the difference that it makes in you. Because I, like I said before, I can't do anything to show it. So, if Jesus has to do the speaking, what about those who he doesn't speak to? So, I'm confident and I can say this, and I'm sad that I'm confident in saying this, not everyone I will ever preach to will come to salvation i breaks break my heart to say that, but I can sadly say it confidently. You want to know why? Because we're going to focus most of the rest of this time in Corinthians. The first Corinthians, chapter 1. We will look at what's the difference when... Uh, sorry. Spiritually, what is the difference? So... God has to do like I said God has to do the work right so when I preach to somebody who God's doing the work in it's makes them feel alive it brings out what God put inside of them to the highest extent when you're when you're converted and you're a Christian there is no better feeling to you than when you're hearing the actual truth be preached it's a different feeling that comes from the inside because that's where what God did in you resides there's this part inside of you now, because as you can see, my flesh still exists. I still get hurt, I still get injured, right? So what God did in you is inside. That's a different work inside. And that comes out when you hear preaching. When you hear, when you're around people who believe in God. But what about those who he has not worked in, or isn't going to work in? So we're going to look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to first look at verse 18 through 20, but we're going to first look at verse 18 here. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish what foolishness. Now, as a Christian, can you even comprehend calling the cross foolish? It saved your life. It saved you from eternal damnation to having eternal life. Calling that foolishness, I can't even comprehend it. That's because it's somebody who is going to perish. I've heard down here a really good friend of mine He's he's not a believer and it breaks my heart, and I try to I try to minister to him and it just he doesn't hold any ill remorse towards Christians, but it just doesn't he doesn't understand it. He can't get it. It can't click. I try to explain it to him. He's like, I just can't. I can't I don't understand. It It doesn't make any sense. You're really saying that this all powerful God had to send his son to die to save you? He's like, couldn't there have been another way? He's just it doesn't make sense to him. It doesn't click. It's foolishness the he doesn't hold any ill remorse for it. It's just literally foolishness. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. He can't, it can't click in his mind. <coughs> why doesn't it click in his mind when I preach to somebody else? I have, he's a, he's a work friend. I have another work friend who I actually believe the Lord is saving and he's using me in his salvation. and not that amazing to me? So I've talked to them about the same stuff, both of them. Why does one, their ears perk up? They're like, this is this is amazing. I can't believe that this is true. This is awesome. Then the other one is, that I can't believe this is true, but in another way. He's like, this doesn't make any sense. So why, what's the difference then? Because one God has spoken first. The other one God has spoken. Then so the second part of verse 18, but unto them, unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. So the cross itself to somebody like my friend who's not saved, it's foolishness. He doesn't understand it. But to the other friend, I believe the, uh, the Lord's working in, when you preach the cross, it's like, wow, God can do that? God can re- uh, redeem all the mistakes that I've made and save me from my foolish and idiotic ways? Yes. yes. In fact, He can. Yes. And that's what's so amazing about Him. That's the power of God. Amen. Right? And the difference is, and the only difference between the two of them is God spoken to one of them and hasn't spoken to the other one? So there was a pile of dust on the ground when God made Adam. And He formed one of them. And there was still dust on the ground and He breathed in to that one and that became man and that was still dust. Right. The only thing that changes is God breathed into one pile of dust and then breathed into the other. Amen. That's the difference between a saved person and an unsafe person. They're both dust. But God breathed into one, breathed life into one, then into the other. So then we're going to read 19 through 20 here. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will bring nothing into the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish foolish the wisdom of this world? It's once again kind of rhetorical questions here. In case you're wondering that... uh, where it's written, that is in Isaiah 29. I was planning on turning there. I'm looking. I don't believe I have time now because I still have a few notes to go through. So I don't believe we're going to turn there. But in Isaiah... No, okay, we're going to. <laughs> I changed my mind. We're going to turn here to Isaiah 29. Because it, it, it elaborates on what... It just expands on what that verse already said. So we're, we're going to do it. So Isaiah chapter 29. I'll let everybody turn there. And it's going to be 13 through 15 is what we're going to read. I tried to convince myself not to do it. I really didn't. And God's like, no you don't. We studied it for a reason. Yeah. Verse 13. We start there. Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as this people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, But I have removed their hearts far from me and their fear towards me is taught by the precepts of men. Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work uh, and a wonder, for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. Woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord and their works are in the dark and they say who seeth us and who knoweth us so we'll look at verse 13 there first for as much as this people draw near me with their mouths and with their lips do honor me so my question is and this is kind of exciting here are you doing that? With your, with your mouth, do you draw near me? So what's that meaning? When you talk, is it stuff that's going to bring you closer to God or further away from God? Hmm. And then with your lips, do you honor me? So whenever you do speak and you're talking to somebody, is what you're saying through your mouth, is that honoring to God? And then the second part, but have removed their hearts far from me. So these people are in trouble because of that reason. They're moving their hearts far from him, and their fear towards me is taught by the precepts of men. So, he talks about he, they do fear God, but not because of God, right. because men have taught him to fear God. Right. right? It's already the general principle that has been built there. It's not a genuine fear of God. It's just because men have told them that they should fear God. When you're a little kid and you're told. That you should, you know, you should fear this, you should fear that. You do it. You have never even encountered that yet, right? So these men, they fear God by the precepts. Not because they actually know God and fear Him. but right. By the precepts of men. Then, therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among these people, even a marvelous work and a wonder, for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent mm-hmm. men shall be hid. I don't know about you, but I believe that wonderful, that marvelous work and that wonderful work is the cross. Yeah. Because what else is God going to do that no other person could understand? It says that their wise men shall perish. Yeah. So they won't need the counsel of the wise men because they don't understand it. Right? The only thing that meets the description is what we are talking about in Corinthians, is the cross. The only they can't the wise men can't explain it to you because it doesn't make any sense to them. That's why their wise men shall parents, and their prudent shall be hid. And for those of you who don't know, prudent is like he thinks he's a genius, right? He's he thinks he's the smartest guy in the room at all times. There's, he never thinks that anybody can rival his intelligence. What says that the prudent men shall be hid? I don't know if you've ever met someone who you describe as prudent. They're very hard to hide. Because they always make themselves known that they're the smartest guy in the room. So they're gonna be hit, you won't even be able to recognize them because they're going to be so dumbfounded by this. By this marvelous work. Which is the cross. Because then you look in Corinthians 1.18 that we were looking at already. You don't have to turn there. We already looked at it. Is that the cross is foolishness to them that perish. But it's the power of God for them that are saved. I know I got that backwards there. But it's, for them that are saved it's the power of God. So that marvelous work right there is the cross. Because to them that believe it, it's the power of God it's marvelous. We don't understand it. It's... Amazing. But it hides the understanding of the prudent and of the wise men. right; it's foolishness. They become useless. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Then the last one, it's a warning. That last verse is a warning there. Woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord. And their works are in the dark. And they say, who seeth us? Who knoweth us? Those men are in trouble. That's what that word woe means. Because if you're trying to hide what you're doing from God, I hate to break it to you, but He already knows. And you are in more trouble than you think if you're trying to hide it from Him. Now, if you're a Christian and you realize you're doing something wrong, then go to Him asking for forgiveness. But if you're somebody who thinks you're just going to get away with it by hiding it from Him, well, the word woe is used. And woe is basically you're in a lot of trouble. I'll do a simple understanding of that word woe. And not w o w w o e. For yeah. Yeah. you're in trouble. Sure. You're in a lot of trouble. If you're trying to hide from God, well, He already knew that you're going to try to hide from Him. So there's that because He just said it to you. He just told you trying to hide it. You know, it doesn't say successfully hid it. It says those that seek deep try to hide their trouble. Right. You know, He knew that they put it into deep darkness because He doesn't. The light doesn't reside in the darkness, but He knows about it.
1: Right.
0: So we'll go back to First Corinthians now. And we got about ten verses I want to go through, or so we got we got time. So we're going to twenty-one. We're going to look at twenty-one here. So we already looked, and that's what uh, I wanted to go to Isaiah, because that just expounds on verse nineteen and verse twenty. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Uh, by the cross, He did that. By the cross. He threw everything off. He threw, he threw the Jews' sacrifice off. He threw all that off. Their their whole system, you know, they that we talked about this morning in class. They had built the system, but they had went astray from it. God had presented them a system. They went astray from it. And then He completely demolished that when He came Himself to God. He absolutely needed none of that. And it just threw everything off of them. I don't know if you know this, Jews don't sacrifice anymore. But they don't believe the Messiah is coming. Just because Christ messed everything up for them. In their world, right? Because they don't know what to do. And even though they don't believe in Christ, still for some reason they stop sacrificing. Explain that one to me. They know something's up. They knew something was up about that God. Which they try to despise it. We'll get to here in a minute about it, right? So in verse 21, For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. So God's plan here, and in the wisdom of God, it's talking about His plan, his knowledge, his wisdom that he has. The world by wisdom knew not God. So he made it in such a way that the smart men wouldn't just be able to figure it out and come to God. That's why he designed it to the wisdom of God. The world by wisdom knew not God. You can't know God by just obtaining a massive amount of knowledge and information. That's not how it worked. And the next part. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. You know, that's why I know that's why I know people like me are truly called, because it's the foolishness of preaching, right? Yeah. People like me, we're not we're not the wisest, you know, I have a study, I have dyslexia, I have all these things. But it's the foolishness of it. So it's not the men, it's the job that to please God to do it that way.
1: Yeah.
0: Right? In verse twenty one. It doesn't you know the wisdom of this world doesn't lead to God. It's the foolishness of preaching. God himself called it foolishness, because it doesn't make any sense to this world. And really, think about it. If you're in your own human mind, if you had to design the way to come to God, you weren't designed it this way either. Because it doesn't make any sense to us. But it pleased God to do it that way. And that's Amen. all that matters in the Amen. end. Amen. So then let's look at twenty three or 22 and 23. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. So that is, in that time, in that area of the world, there's mainly Jews and Greeks a lot in that area. So that's why they use these two examples. But this is just anybody. nowadays. you notice... When you're when you're ministering to someone and trying to teach them about the Bible, what's the two kind of things that they always ask for? I've noticed, and I know, and I'm only doing this for about time. One, some of them they want you to prove it, right. like okay, if God's real, turn that wall in the same. You know, that's what they want. They want something like that. They want to see God do something amazing for them to believe on Him, right? So the Jews seek after a sign, but the Greeks seek after wisdom. So the other side is the foolishness that like so this doesn't make any sense. If it would all make sense, then I would I'd be on board. I'd jump along. Right. So that's the other side of it. Either somebody wants God to do something miraculous, so, uh, I'm sorry, I lost a parent out there, a sign, or the other wants wisdom. Right? So, but 23, right? So there's the linchpin right here, the linchpin. But we preach Christ crucified. Amen. So we don't give them signs. Right. We don't give them the crazy things that God's done for that. Even if we know that God's done stuff for us, and to us it's a sign, Right? But we don't give them that. We don't use that as to lead them to God. Amen. Amen. So we preach Christ crucified. And to them, that's not... To the Greeks, that's not wisdom. Right. right? Doesn't make any sense to them. We already talked about that. It's the foolishness of preaching. Right? So then in verse 23, But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block. So the ones that want a sign, it makes them fall over basically because they, they they're that done. They're like, okay, I... It, it, so it confuses them so much it's like they fall over. And that stumbling block is more describing like a dark room and there's a chair in there and you trip over the chair. Look, you didn't even see coming. They're just like, okay, I'm done here. It's, it makes them fall down. They don't understand. Unto the Greeks, it's foolishness. So unto the people that want wisdom and this life-changing advice, it's foolishness to them. They don't understand. Um, then in verse... Right, so they... Then we are talking about pleasing Him. So then in verse 24, look at 24 and then 25. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks. So the people that wanted a sign, but yet God saved them, not giving them a sign. And the people that wanted wisdom, and God saved them, by not giving them wisdom, but by the preaching of the Word. Both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. So to them it's the stumbling block and foolishness but unto them that are called it is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Yeah. Why? Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. Yeah. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. Yeah. So even hypothetically if God could have like a moment where He wasn't thinking clearly it's still infinitely smarter than your smartest thing you've ever done. Yeah. I mean, when, you, yeah. when you actually figured out a way where you could design the kitchen so you wouldn't forget where the plates were that was maybe the brilliant thing you've ever done. Well, God's worst moment is still a thousand times smarter than that. And the moment where you finally, you know, I know we got some football players in here and played football at some point in time in life. When you got your max bench press, that's the strongest moment you've ever got. God's weakest moment was still infinitely stronger than that. Yeah. Just to put you into perspective, that's, that verse is just kind of a humbling verse for you. It just kind of sets everything into stone. Yeah. and Because it answers the question if you're thinking, why is all this the way that it is? Because the foolishness of God is wiser than you. You can, put that, you can change that word men to you if you want to really get humbled. Yeah. And then the weakness of God is stronger than you.
1: Yeah.
0: You can put it that way. <clears throat> then we're going to close here in the last few verses here and I'll try to go quickly through them in verse 26 to 31. And this is... I love these verses. I'm just going to say that. I love these verses. So right here in verse 26... For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. So we already talked about how the Jews require a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom. So they want all these things, but they don't get it, right? Mm-hmm. So then those that are called, you see your calling. Who are the people that are called? Well, it's not many wise men. So most of the Christians, not the brightest bulbs in the shed, right? <laughs> not many mighty, so not everyone's the strongest of the group. Right? Not many noble. Not all of them are the, you know, the brave soldiers going to go first in the battle. That's not who God picks. Because that's not how God works. Right? And then 27. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. So, I think of David and Goliath, first off, when you think of that. God had his elected warrior to go kill Goliath. Oh, only the smallest guy out of him who literally when he put on the armor you couldn't see him. He was just hiding behind the armor you barely see the guy. You maybe see a little bit of his elbow. That's all you could see when he put on that armor. That's the man that God had chosen to kill the greatest warrior of that time. He might have been, honestly, the greatest warrior the world has ever seen in Goliath. And he had David kill him. A little farmer. Because that's how God works. Not many mighty, not many noble. Because the purpose he did that is because doesn't that prove his power? Yeah. If he doesn't, if he can pick the David's and win, it doesn't need the Goliaths. Right. In fact, it proves his power. How impressive would that story have been if Goliath was the man that God chose? Right. Yeah. What, what's that do? It's like okay, he, he killed a little farmer's boy. The, the, probably did that a thousand times. But the fact that that's inverse and God picked the little man to kill the giant. And now we all know it and it blows our mind that that's how God worked because that's the wisdom of God it talks about in verse 21. Then 28 here. And the base things of this world, the things which are despised, hath God chosen. Once again, the army wanted to kick, David kept showing up and the army was like, get out of here, go away, go away. We don't want we don't want anything to do with you. Go away. And he's chosen the, uh, the things which are despised hath God chosen. The base things of this world. A little farmer boy, that's simple. You find a lot of those. Right? So, those are the things that God chose him. He gave the things which are not to bring not to things that are. And the same concept, continuing. And then in 29, here, that no flesh should glory in his presence. You can't glory in what you do. David knows very well that he didn't kill the giant. Right. He knows that. He didn't glory in himself killing the giant. Oh, he knew what God did. Amen. He knew that God's the one who carried that little stone all the way across and uh-huh. right before him.
1: Yes.
0: He knows that. Yes. But of him are ye in Christ Jesus. And I just want to stop right there. Just yeah. than that. Yeah. But of him ye are in Christ Jesus. Special special verse of scripture. Who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. God did all that for you. That's the whole purpose. It's not you, it's God. That's the whole purpose of this message right here. It's not you, it's God. In verse 31, right here, closing with this, right here. That according as it is written, He that glorieth let Him glory in the Lord. When you have a moment where you beat your giant, when you overcome the impossible odds of this life, don't glory in yourself. You didn't do it. In that glory, let Him glory in the Lord. It's God. It's always God. No matter what you go through, no matter the battle you fight, if you won that battle or even if you lost that battle, you might have lost. God didn't. He had a plan to do it, right? Don't don't beat yourself up when you go down because God's going to pick you up. And when that bell rings and you're the last person left in the ring, don't don't praise yourself. You're not Muhammad Ali. God won that battle for you. But think about that. Him that glory. Let him glory in the Lord. Our Heavenly Father come to you today. I thank you so much for everything you give us, Lord. I thank you for your son.